Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, I said I like you, like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. Lily Brooks Dalton is a writer. Her best-known work is her most recent book that came out five years ago, Good Morning Midnight, that was turned into a movie, a film, sorry, called The Midnight Sky, starring George Clooney. Her first book was a memoir called Motorcycles I've Loved, and she is deep into some further projects that you will hear us talking about. So to call her a novelist isn't exactly right. Uh, but she's not a memoirist either. either. She's she's a writer. In fact, as we discuss in the, this conversation you're about to hear, she is not content at stopping there. She's going to try other media as well. And it's all storytelling, as you'll hear her explain. It's all diving into the human experience and finding the truth at the heart of it. I, I don't mean to put words in her mouth, but that's the impression I get of where she's coming from. Um, I, please listen to the interview. I did not do justice just then to the the experience of speaking with Lily Brooks Dalton. She's really, you know what? I don't want to spoil it. I think she's really cool. That's all I'll say. I think she's really cool and and smart and deep and thoughtful and she doesn't seem content to give easy pat answers like she really thinks about the wisdom she's going to drop on you so man i was um so excited to get to speak to her i'm so excited to see what she does in the future i feel like the sky is the limit as it were for the great lily brooks dalton so please welcome to wheels off lily brooks dalton Welcome to Wheels Off, Lily Brooks Dalton. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi. Thank you so much for asking me. I'm really excited to do this with you. This is so cool. For the edification of our listeners, from where are you joining us? I am in Los Angeles, California. Nice. I used to live there. I miss it. Oh, really? Uh, What neighborhood did you live in? Um, we lived uh, on Highland. Very no, well, hold on. We lived in Highland Gardens um, when we very first lived there. Mm. At the same hotel where Janis Joplin died. Wow. Yeah, and then we lived Good in um, West Hollywood, right by the Beverly Center, for a while. A few places. You're in New York now, right? In Hudson Valley. The Hudson Valley, just north of Manhattan. Okay, and how long have you been there? See now, look at you. You're a pro. You're interviewing me. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, we moved here 17 years ago and a half years ago, right before my son was born. And he's now basically an adult. Very weird. 17, I think so. Practically, yeah. practically a human. <laughs> yeah. His girlfriend just turned 18. So she technically is an adult. And all of that's, all of that's very weird. I can imagine. But they're both nice and they're both great. Now, you don't hail from Los Angeles originally or do you? No, I'm from Vermont originally, born and raised uh, in the Green Mountain State and have lived all kinds of places, but moved to L.A. I think like two and a half years ago now. I keep wanting to say three, but I think that I think I'm rounding up. Well, time being a flat circle, it's hard to know. It's true. Um, So what creative project are you working on right now and how does it light you up? Oh, I love the way you phrase that question. That's such a generous way of thinking about it, of being lit up. Um, Well, I'm actually in kind of a funny in-between zone right now. I just finished a new book and um, found a new editor and a new uh, publisher for it. And I'm sort of waiting for my first editorial letter. So there's, there's not much to do with that book right now. Um, but I am working on pitching it as a TV show, as something that I would adapt to this new medium. So that's, um, that's been really fun and interesting thinking about how to take a story from one medium to another, um, is like such a wild challenge. And, um, yeah. Is that a harrowing time when you've finished a book and you're waiting to see what an editor is going to say about it? Well, it's not super harrowing because um, I've already, you know, in the process of, because my last editor actually left um, the industry. So I was knew that I was searching for a new editor. So part of that process was talking to different editors about the book and, and kind of their editorial vision. So I've already gotten a sneak preview. So I feel like I'm not going to, um, have my mind totally blown. I guess there is like a little, like when that email arrives, I will have feelings as I open it, I'm sure. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, it's not like something I'm thinking about every day. I, I am thinking about the sort of corollary in my own job when you finish a record and then you have a four month window and this happens with books. The window can be much longer, I guess. But Oh, yeah. Huge window. <laughs> that's harrowing, right? Because then then it's finished and it's gone off to the printer. But now you're waiting for the reviews to come in, the public response. I mean, does is that a scary time? That is a terrifying time. Definitely. Um, you know, I think it, it's interesting with books you know, we've kind of talked a little bit about when we would expect this title to come out and we're thinking January, 2023. So that's a long ways away. Um, But that window between like, okay, I can't change anything else. No more edits. And like, yeah, Kirkus is going to start saying things about it. Um, That window is tough. It's tough to exist in that in-between time. Do you find it um, easy or possible even to write? I mean, you must. I mean, I'm assuming you probably kind of write on and off all the time. I don't know why I'm assuming that, but you seem like you're prolific. You seem like you're 
amazing at what you do, but I wonder, <laughs> can you write during that window when you're when you're on the precipice, waiting, awaiting the judgment of the public and Kirkus? Well, you know, I think every book is a different adventure. Every project, I should say, now that I'm, you know, exploring new mediums, is a different adventure. Um, and I have in the past. You know, I think I'm, I'm trying to think back here and not lie to you, but I'm pretty sure that time before my first book came out, I was, yeah, actively working on my next book. Um, so it's been done. I've done it, but, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It might be different this time. We'll have to, we'll have to see. And uh, um, forgive me for not knowing, but were you involved in the film adaptation of the last book or was that done separate from you altogether? Um, I was involved in sort of a circuitous way, you know, I didn't write it or anything like that, but I, um, I have a consulting producer credit. So, you know, I got to answer a couple of questions and I got to uh, visit the set a few times. And if you look really closely, I'm actually an extra in one of the scenes. So that was a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I love that. That's so funny. There's very, that's very meta. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was a magical experience. I mean, how often do you get to feel like a movie star for one day? It's the perfect amount of time. Just the one day is good. Exactly. Because <laughs> it's hard. Apparently acting is quite hard. Like I, I got asked to do a couple of auditions and I thought to myself, how hard can it be? You just remember these words. Don't crack yeah. up. That's not true yeah. at all. <laughs> it's incredible. No. Well, you know, actually when I was little, um, my brother was a wonderful actor, my older brother. And I would see him in these, you know, high school productions and think, I want to do that. And um, I was really excited about this idea of being an actress when I grew up. And then I, um, I auditioned for a play in high school and I immediately knew this is the most, this is the most awful thing I've ever done. I'm terrified. I think I'm going to pass out. I'm so scared. I never want to come near this again. So that dream died really quickly. (laughs) I think it. No, please go ahead. I just, I think it was um, like, I knew I wanted to do something creative, but I just hadn't quite landed on what that thing was and um, had not yet realized that I'm terrified of of public speaking, which actually has ended up being part of my job anyway. But, um, you know. A smaller part. <laughs> um, I think it's so funny, though, because uh, the the job of an author is so different and in so many ways the opposite of the job of an actor, right? Like you, you're creating the content versus going out on stage and having to do some, some words that someone else has written. And mm-hmm. you're so often all by yourself doing this job, writing and writing, whereas the actor has to constantly be observed. And yet... Yeah. It's funny. I wonder. I wonder if there's much overlap. I mean, there there must be. Ethan Hawke keeps putting books out. I guess he does. He's pretty good, isn't he? I I don't <laughs> think I've actually read any of them, but I've heard he's good. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think you know that that part of being alone so much as a writer is something that um, that I love. I find um, I find that really suits me, and um, in in moments where I have to kind of do the performance of it all, 
um, wow, it's so taxing. I don't know how you do it, how you go out and go on tour and perform night after night. I just, I think I'd just curl up into a little ball and just leave me behind in the hotel. Like you go on, save yourselves. I don't really know either. It's, it, I think it involves telling yourself a story. Like mm. these people want me to be doing this. The, you know, these, it's, and it's harder now. I do four gigs a week from this very spot in my office. And the, the story when I'm in front of a room full of people who are joyous or whatever version of that is mm-hmm. is a lot easier to tell myself than the story where I'm alone looking into a high def camera. Mm. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's it's all it's all weird though, Lily. I mean, right? It's just all. I think it's the, all stories. I I I love that. I mean, it's all narrative. That's that's what life is. That's how we get through it by um, telling ourselves the story we can live with, right? So I wonder, I I love this image of you as a little kid searching for identity, searching for vocation um, and finding that standing in front of people was not for you. I wonder at what point can you pinpoint a moment when you knew that it was going to be writing? Is there, was there an epiphany moment? Do you remember that? You know, it's funny. I get this question in in various forms a lot. And um, I feel like my answer is slippery, like it's always changing. Um, So so I guess the truth is no, there's maybe not one moment. Um, But there are a handful, you know, I think it's um, I've always loved reading. I was always a bookworm. Um, In fact, I I think even before I learned to actually read, I had memorized my favorite book and would recite it as if I was reading. I was kind of like trying to (laughs) pretend I had that skill before I actually had it. Um, And I remember, you know, deciding I wanted to write books and like illustrate them. I think they're I mean, I, I know there are a couple of little books that I made as a child on my bookshelf tucked away. Um, but it also is such a strange profession to, um, well, even just applying the word profession to it feels difficult, I think. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's hard to make a living out of it. It's hard to um, make a career out of it. So I, I think in that sense, it didn't quite feel attainable until I was in my 20s, probably, um, even with all of that sort of childhood love of, of words and storytelling. But you went to school for writing, right? You, you went to Amherst? No, um, I lived in Amherst, oh. actually. Um, but I, I went, well, I went to UMass Amherst for okay. my... Sorry, and, that's confusing. So yeah. I read that in because I'd interviewed Harlan Coben, who went to Amherst. And mm-hmm. then when I read it about you, I was like, that must be the same thing, right? I, I didn't. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, it's in the same town. And actually, <laughs> um, well, this was after I graduated, but I um, moved back to Amherst after some time spent traveling and ended up living um, in this little tiny apartment above an Amherst professor's garage right across from Amherst College. So basically I went there. Like <laughs> you got the education for free. Yeah. I, I got the experience. 
Um, was was there a lot of speaking of which? I mean, I wonder about that. The classroom experience versus life experience. I mean, do you think that to be a writer, it's more valuable to spend time in writing workshops and in classrooms versus life experience? No. And I also don't think the the inverse. Like I, I think they're both equally important and can be equally informative. Um, I think it really depends on who you are and, and where you are in your life. You know, having done both, I can I can definitely see um, see how both of those experiences really served my um, development as a writer. But but yeah, I don't think I could point to one or the other and say that's that's the way you do it. You know. Yeah. Well, there's probably I guess there's no one size fits all answer for any of this stuff, right? You have to follow your own path. I think that's true. Yeah. And so much depends on like who your teachers are, you know, if you, if you get along with them, if you, um, you know, resonate with them. I, I can think of a few teachers who, um, who without them, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. Like I wouldn't be living this life. And then I can think of other teachers who said things that like, you know, I, uh, let's, what's the nice way of saying this, but I don't agree with, (laughs) um, and, and really didn't, uh, didn't feel like I, um, got what I was looking for from their class. Yeah. It seems like that would be inevitable, right? Just human beings. I think so. Do, um, so it's so I've I've been lucky enough in the course of these conversations to get to speak to a lot of different kinds of artists, you know, musicians and painters and chefs and um I wonder a lot of people, a lot of artists talk about what they do as being some sort of therapy. I wonder mm-hmm. for you like I'm assuming that like the rest of those people I've spoken to that you deal with internally generated obstacles you deal with you know um, self-doubt or what what if the different ones that have come up a lot are imposter syndrome success guilt like these kind of things that you know the the exterior obstacles are obvious you know like trying to make a living you mentioned earlier just how hard it is the profession of writing but it's the interior ones that i feel like don't they're they're less obvious and they get less of a spotlight shined on them I wonder if you have figured out ways to deal with those kinds of things. If you've figured out tricks, ways to get past those obstacles. Mm, yeah. I mean, that's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I do. When I think about my experience of, of putting my first book out into the world Um, and even writing my first book, because those are right. Those are the two modes of like sharing the thing, but also doing the thing. Um, And, and it's two different sets of challenges that comes with those. Um, Looking back on that sort of first round, I do feel like, oh, phew. Yeah, I have learned a couple, (laughs) like I have gotten a little bit better at this. Um, And I think I think a lot of that is just practice is getting through it the first time and being like, Oh, I survived. I, I did this thing. 
and um, I shared it. Some people didn't like it. Some people did. And I survived. And then I made another thing. And just completing one round of that cycle is, um, I mean, I, I don't think we can call this a trick because it's so hard, but it's a, you know, I think it's maybe the best and only way that I know to, to, to get better at it is just to keep, to keep making things and keep sharing them. I, I'm displeased with my own answer because I, I really wish I had, I did have a trick to like sum up and share with you. That would be nice. Do you have any tricks? Well, I mean, I've, I've been lucky. I've done for two years. I've been, you know, speaking to people about this kind of stuff. And, and the thing that comes up more than anything else is what you alluded to just there. It's, it's persistence. You keep doing it and even failure, right? Like I wonder, was your first book, was, was that the first big project that you ever wrote or were there other things that you started and abandoned? Were there other things that didn't get published? There were other things that I started and abandoned. And I had actually forgotten about this, about, about having done this, but I um, was recently reminded when I read um, Writers and Lovers by Lily King, which is such a great book. Um, And uh, it it reminded me of a book that I had tried to write when I was in my early 20s and had, I just didn't have the tools yet. Um, I didn't know. The problem with that book was I didn't know how plot worked yet. I didn't know how to make the story move forward. Um, and, And I had done that once before where I'd written like 30 pages, like the first chapter or two of a of what I would want, what I wanted to be a novel. And then it would just fizzle because I couldn't figure out how to, how to establish tension and keep it moving. And um, so, so that was something I had to <laughs> figure out. But um, yeah, by the time I put out my first book, that was really the first thing that I'd ever shared. I'd never even really, I don't, I don't love writing short stories. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of writers start by, by publishing a lot of stories um, and, and essays and I hadn't really done any of that. So it was, it, the book was kind of the first thing. <laughs> and it was a memoir. It was a memoir. Yeah. Like how audacious is that? <laughs> it's so audacious. I, it, now I look back on it and I'm like, what the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> Um, I had no idea what what like sharing so much of myself would entail. And as we've already discussed, like, you know, sharing, like being in front on the stage in front of a lot of people is not is not my favorite thing, not even close to my favorite (laughs) thing. So the fact that I then went ahead and wrote a memoir at the age of. I don't know but I was still a baby. I think 25 is ridiculous. That's madness. I would never do that again, but it's done. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Well, I wonder though, because you talk about just a couple of years before that wrestling with plot and tension and, you know, having to create an arc for your story in, in a memoir, is that as, I mean, it must still be an issue because you're still telling a story, but did, was that a solution for getting past the, the, problem of having to create a plot like you've lived the plot 
Oh my God, that's so interesting. I've never thought of it that way, but I think you're right. I think you're onto something. <laughs> I think that was kind of the cheat of, of like, I don't have to craft a narrative arc so much as, as carve one from like the, you know, the rock face that is <laughs> my life. It's all the material is here. It's just a matter of arranging it. I think I learned a lot by doing that. Like the editor of a documentary filmmaker and you had all these hours of footage and then you just right, edit right. them. It's a different skill, isn't it? It's, it's um, so much more down to organization and um, discernment instead of kind of pulling a, a narrative arc from the ether. Boy, it's funny because it really, both of those things, like the idea of you writing a novel out of, you know, whole cloth, creating something mm -hmm. that never existed versus taking your own life experiences, it all comes down to choices, right? And I mean, that's mm -hmm. the same for all the musicians I speak to. It's, you know, what's the next chord? What's the next lyric? You know, what's what's the next beat in your plot? What's, what's the next life experience that you're going to share to make this story work? I love that. But I mean, you made the choice to be a writer, so it's just all that this long series of choices. Do you? I mean, do you enjoy that? I I get the feeling that that is the part that you really love—the sitting down and figuring out what's next. Absolutely, that is the part that I love. I think you know, if I could make a living writing books that no one ever read, I would. I would do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. There is a there is something so extraordinary and beautiful about sharing the work that you've created. But as we discussed, it's really scary, also, and um, and uncomfortable. And uh, who you know, we we all we're humans. We like to be comfortable. But um, it's interesting that you bring up this idea of, of choices um, because I think. I've been thinking about that a lot in terms of adaptation, um, just because of what I'm working on right now. Uh, because that's really sort of going into this idea of adapting my own book into a new medium is opening the door to revisit all of the choices that I made for the book and to perhaps make them differently. For this new medium uh and it's it's such a fascinating thing to get to do to your own work it's like um living in a parallel timeline or a parallel universe or something you know just like if this one little thing was different what would that do and i wonder too because the experience of reading something or listening to an audiobook of something or whatever, that's, that's a different experience than watching an eight episode um, mini series of a novel or something like that. So different things work, right? Like different, mm -hmm. different, different uh, pieces are needed to, to satisfy the, the viewer versus the reader or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it was really interesting seeing, my last book be adapted by someone else making their own set of choices, right? Around the material that I had already made my set of choices about. Um, and, and so, and I was watching that happen while I was writing this book um, and sort of, you know, typing away at my desk and, and feeling 
thrilled with myself about the fact that I was writing such a book. Like I was doing things with the book that only a book can do, you know, and just thinking about how hard it would be to adapt it. (laughs) (laughs) And so here we are. You must like a challenge. I do like a challenge. I like a challenge and I like to explore creatively. I like to try new things. Um, And, you know, going from memoir to fiction to screenwriting. Um, And then even within screenwriting, you know, there's TV shows, there's features, like there are different things there too. Um, It's all a question of structure. And I think structure is is one of my favorite things about writing and thinking about how a story is is built. Have you... (laughs) Now this is me with my my uh, aspiring fiction writer it's coming out to ask you the questions. Is are are there things you have found in terms of like an autodidactic approach to your craft that have been helpful? I mean, are there certain books? Are there certain workshops? Are there? I mean, is there anything that you could recommend to aspiring writers? When because when you talk about the form and the you know the the technical things that one must learn to be good at it. Is there a way outside of getting an MFA from either of the Amherst colleges? Yes, I think, (laughs) I think, um, I mean, so many great books have been written about writing, but I, but actually my number one piece of advice would be to um, go back to the book that you love. The, the, the novel that you most want to emulate or, or whatever genre you're working in and read it again and then read it again and read it until you have stopped um, falling into it in enjoyment, you know, in bliss of like, oh, I'm in my favorite book again. Read it to the point where you're, you're watching the writer make the choices. And, and when you get to that point, I think the, the, the blueprint of the book kind of will open itself to you. And I think that can be such an informative journey to go on, especially if it's a story that you, that you're trying to emulate or that you respect so much. Um, If you get to that point of being able to kind of peek through the, um, the veil and see how it was made. um, Yeah. I think, I think that's, could be a, a fun thing to do. <laughs> I love that. It's like the first time you read it, or even maybe times, as you're suggesting, you're dazzled mm-hmm. by it, right? Like it's mm-hmm. a magic trick. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I will never understand how this person exactly. did that magic trick. But if you watch it and maybe stand on the side of the stage, try and stand, change your perspective, and, and then you you see where the card gets slipped from the sleeve, from the cuff. Exactly. What yeah. book was that for you? Can you share that or is that? Oh, I'm not sure there was just one. Um, But I, let me think, let me think. Um, I I think I've just done it with so many at this point that I'm not sure I could point to, to just one. But I I guess I remember as a teenager going back to, White Noise by Don DeLillo. Oh my that God. Book, that yeah. book blew my mind. I was like, wait, 
what is this about? You know, like what's the, and, and that was a moment of around plot for me where I was like, I'm not sure this book is about anything, <laughs> you know, but it's, but it's also so good. How did he do that? How did he make it so compelling, but with such a thin um, plot, you know, uh, there's so much that's unsaid in that book that's, that's untold. So I think that was definitely a moment of of wanting to reread and reread and reread. And the same goes for television and film, if that's a medium you're interested in. And, and that's actually even better because you can both read the script. Scripts are really easy to find. Just Google it. You'll probably find the PDF and then watch it and then read it and then watch it. And it just, it just opens itself to you, I think. Um, so... The DeLillo reminds me of this thing I wonder all the time. Like if you are aspiring to do a thing and the thing is hard, sometimes it seems like it would be a bad idea to focus too much on people who have done that thing at a level that, that seems unattainable. Like DeLillo, that's, I mean, talk about a magic trick. Yeah. Top of the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, so I've, I've wrestled with this with music. Like when I, you know, I don't know who when I was young, Elvis Costello. And I'll sit there and I'll go, I could never do this. Like, if I focus too much on this, it's going to beat me down and make me think that there's no hope. Mm. But but then but then, I, I like what you're saying, which is those people are just people. Like, they just mm -hmm. sat down and figured out how to do it themselves. You know, there's no, it isn't a magic, or it is a magic trick. But it's, yeah. they're like every other magic trick. There's a real thing that you have to do to do it. It's not actually Merlin using right. arcane right. power. Right, they're just choices. They're just choices at the end of the day. But I think going back to what um, we were talking about before with the sort of the internal obstacles that we create for ourselves, I think comparison is the biggest, baddest, meanest obstacle um, that I have wrestled with, you know, and, and continue to think about and, um, you know, I, I don't think there's like a, a pat solution for it, but I do think the older that I get, the more comfortable I get reminding myself that there is no comparison. <laughs> like we're all here to do our individual best work. Like it's not pop, like no one has the same path and, and. I don't know. I, th I think I just find myself um, like my brain still does that to me, that comparison stuff. But there's this deeper truth that I feel like I'm getting close to, which is that um, comparison is absolutely futile and and be kind to yourself when you do it, because we all do it. But at the end of the day, um, there's nothing there. There's no information there for you. There's, you know, just have the moment, get back to your own work, that kind of thing. God, I love that. And we started off talking about my teenagers and, and even moving beyond art and creativity. Just, I think that that is great advice in life. You know, I, I, I watch them scrolling through their feeds and and these curated perfect lives that they're holding up yeah. their own real life against. And it breaks my heart, mm -hmm. honestly. Mm -hmm. 
I totally hear that. I think it's a, it's big work, you know, if that's like lifetime work. Um, and I think it's, I think it can be easy to, when you start noticing the pattern of comparison, to be really mean to yourself about it. Um, and I don't think there's no point in doing that. You know, we're all going to compare. It's okay. Just remember that it's not real. Yeah. It's an illusion. Well, I think it's so great um, for people to be able to tune into something like this even and hear you, someone who's brilliant and had a lot of success. And even you are saying that you have to deal with that too. I mean, you're the one that they are comparing themselves to. So that's that's really great and incredibly humanizing. Well, Rhett, I mean, you, I just noticed your um, most recent episode pop up with an interview with Lauren Groff, who is one of those people for me, <laughs> who I open her books and I'm like, how, I how, know. I know, how, <laughs> you know, so and I'm sure she has someone too that that she does that with where um yeah I it's everyone I don't think you can ever move beyond that that feeling of of I don't know wishing for someone else's work or words or success whatever however you want to phrase it so I think that that's actually a great place to start if you I want I'm wondering now about advice if you were to come up with a piece of advice that you might give a 21-year-old version of yourself working in today's world, um, do you think you could share that with us? Yeah, that's interesting. I was just talking to someone last week and they asked me the same question, but for my 17-year-old self. Yeah. <laughs> um, and honestly, I think my answer is kind of the same. Because as different as I was at 17 and then at 21, because a lot happened for me in those in-between years, both of those ages, I was feeling really lost. And um, I think I would tell her that it's okay to linger in the space between knowing what you don't want and what you do. Um, there are stories there, you know, there are riches and like, that's, it's, this is what life is, is moving from one thing to the next. And that in between time, I don't know, maybe this is just me, but I think that's where some of the really big work is, um, where we practice enduring the unknown and like, and waiting for the next thing to present itself. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but also I would tell my I would tell myself to stop drinking and doing drugs, but <laughs> <laughs> that took me another couple of years to figure out, and that's okay. Um, but you know, getting drunk is just another way of avoiding the in between um, to to get through something instead of existing in it. Um, so yeah, I'd tell her to get used to the in between times. And um, to stop sidestepping them and to be to be patient with not knowing, I guess, is, is sort of the, the crux of that. Do you think that there is like some kind of shame in being unfinished 
I like in being kind and not having it all figured out. Like I, because I, I mean, I'm looking at my, like I said, my own teenagers as they try and figure it out. I'm looking at myself as I transition from young, carefree, drunken rock and roller to you know mm-hmm. middle aged, sober rock and roller. Also sober here, and oh, um, cool. it's just it's yeah. I think I, I think there once again maybe this speaks to comparison. There's this idea that everyone else has it figured out, right? Why don't mm. I? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I, I I think there is a lot of shame in that feeling. Um and but I think that's you know, it would be weirder if you didn't have that feeling, I think. Um it, it would be it would be superhuman if you had it all figured out (laughs) um that's not again that's not real that's an illusion that's the sort of instagram reality of um of being a person who's all set and and has it all figured out but um yeah i i i think i think cultivating gentleness around all of that around the sort of not knowing what you're doing, feeling lost, um, not knowing what the next thing is, uh, feeling like you're not good enough. Like, I think it's tempting to assume that the answer is just to not feel that stuff, to not, um, yeah, to not feel it. But, but I think the actual answer is just to normalize feeling it and to and to think into it to experience it instead of trying to kind of skip past it well i think that the way that you are doing your career living your life is is a great example of not ever being finished like the way you've already described moving from memoir to novel to now writing for a different medium and television and I mean all these different things with which you challenge yourself I love that I mean I think that's a great example of always being willing to transition and comfortable Mm. with that reveling in it maybe Mm, I love that I hadn't thought of it that way I'm gonna take that with me through the rest of my day (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel so lucky that I got to speak with you, Lily, and I'm so excited to see what's next for you. And I really appreciate this. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you, Rhett. I really loved this. It was so great to get to chat with you. Thanks. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Service. 
Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born, to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.